visit to Mr. Rogers' neighborhood north of town, right across from the Northwoods Access. Tom Lucas checks in with Ethan at Northwoods Bait and Tackle. Boy, you got a lot of things uh, going on, a lot of different species starting to get hot here. How are you this morning, Ethan? Hey, doing fantastic. Thanks again for having me on. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about where we are now and I guess where we're headed uh, next uh, because I guess the uh, the perch bite has been actually quite uh, quite outstanding lately. Perch bite has really been good on Lake Bemidji and uh, some of the surrounding lakes, Cass Lake. Um, yeah, uh, they're really keying in on the crayfish now. So if you can get on the sand flats or on the edges where they're uh, they're schooling up, you can really get a nice fish fry put together pretty quick. Okay, so you say they're keying in on the crayfish. That doesn't mean necessarily that you have to use that for bait. What uh, what uh, would you suggest for perch right now? You can't go wrong with a little chunk of crawler. Um, otherwise, we've heard great uh, great success on leeches. Just jigs and leeches. Um, you know, pitch it up towards the sand, uh, drag it back down the break, and the the, the perch are just uh, uh, they, they can't handle themselves. They've <laughs> heard a lot of a lot of good reports, a lot of fish, uh, a lot of fish fries happening with the perch here the last couple of days. Well, that's good to know for a lot of reasons, and uh, one of those obviously the health of the fishery. It's good to have a, a, a good perch population. It is. It is. I tell you what, I I I love perch. If if I could take any fish for a fish fry, it'd be perch. It's just something. Something special about a perch fillet. <laughs> a perch fillet, and, and I think especially uh, just the fact that uh, you know you're eating, you know you're eating a fish, and it just tastes so good. It does. It does. And what a great way to get the kids out or get the grandkids out and just be able to catch some fish. Well, let's uh, talk. You mentioned cast for a moment there, but uh, I guess that the uh, the crankbait fishing on the cast lake has been really good lately. It has been. You know, it, with that clear water, it's it's been tougher for the walleyes during the day. Uh, in fact, we just had our league uh, out last week on cast, and it was a tough bite. Uh, but if you're able to get out there after dark and you can uh, put up with the bugs a little bit, troll crankbaits on the sand out there, and you're going to be rewarded. Uh, the amount of fish being caught on crankbaits after dark has just been great. Well, let's uh, talk about that. Time of year to get out there and get after it. Yeah, you said perfect time of year, certainly, but uh, with the clearer water uh, on uh, Cass Lake these days, that uh, nighttime fishing is becoming more and more of a, a great option. Yep, yep, certainly is. Both the uh, walleyes and, and muskies too. If you can get out there after dark and chase after the muskies, that's the time to get them out there. All right, so you brought it up. I've uh, I was out uh, just recently on a, a noted area musky lake and uh, saw a lot of people that were out to doing the trolling kind of back and forth. Uh, again, with that, uh, with the kind of looking for the tulipies in the deep water, you know, coming up uh, the, the tulipies rising. But we're kind of getting into that uh, that musky uh, season transition as well. I know every time we, we start thinking Fourth of July, some people think fireworks. I start to think muskies. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, with the water warming up, you're going to see less of that trolling, and it's actually a little harder on the fish as it, once that water gets a little too warm uh, to be trolling them. And you know, we start getting to that Fourth of July week, and that's kind of the light switch. Uh, or at least it seems to be in our area where 
all of a sudden the fish just start going up in the up in the cabbage beds and on the breaks and guys are able to target them casting I'm noticing more and more bigger baits again for muskies. I think we were kind of trending away for that. It seemed like we were trending away from that for a little bit, and certainly early season, a lot of people use the uh, go the smaller option. But uh, really, the uh, the range of size in uh, muskie baits is is substantial, and I would imagine we're heading into the time of year where just about any uh, any along that range would work. Yeah, yeah, no, you know whether guys are throwing the big the big double cowgirls or, or downsizing. Um, you know, everybody has their preference, and, and just kind of feel the, the fishes move out. If they're aggressive, they're gonna they're gonna go after anything. Um, I prefer, you know, keeping it keeping it small and keeping it fast. Especially you get into the middle of summer here. Uh, speed is the key, and speed uh, triggers the fish to go. Let me ask you this: How much stock do you put in uh, in the moon phase, uh, Ethan? As far as uh, your fishing, I know some people uh, just uh, rely heavily on that. Yes, yep, it, it, it's, it, it's an incredible factor. Once you start uh, recognizing that and keying in on, you know, moon rises, moon sets, uh, you, you, you'll start to see the trends and the patterns and how those fish just all of a sudden become active for that, you know, that, that hour, that half hour before, half hour after. And uh, it, I'm one that marks all my, or charts all my fish, so I, I keep records of, uh, you know, uh, moon phases, uh, temperatures, time of day, so... Once you start doing that, you can really you can learn a lot, and, and you realize how important that moon phase really is. Yeah, and you uh, you mentioned that uh, you do that. I know a lot of serious musky musky fishermen uh, do that, and the more data you collect, uh, the more apparent it is what some of these trends are. Sure. Yep. For sure. Ethan, uh, of course, you're always uh, very conveniently located there at, at the uh, right across from the Northwoods Access on Lake Bemidji there with uh, Northwoods Bait. And uh, people that uh, people that need advice on what's going on right now, it's uh, not a bad idea to check in. Yeah, check in with us. We're more than happy to uh, give you updates on what's, what's happening in the area here and steer you in the right direction. Ethan Rogers from uh, Northwoods Bait, thank you very much. Thank you. Still to come, a tough question for the aquatic biologist, but first, Judy Hart joins us once again to give us the results on the Women on Winnie tournament this past Sunday. Some people fish, some people don't. Those people are clueless. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. You're listening to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Well, we're checking in once again with Judy from Women on Winnie. They had their big tournament on Sunday. Judy, how'd everything go? Everything went really well. Everybody had a good time. Um, Mother Nature cooperated uh, a little bit. It was nice and warm. Uh, the wind blew a little bit more than we would have liked to. But uh, other than that, no, it, it, a good time was had by all. How many people did you have fishing this year? Um, we had a total of 18 boats. Uh, fishing this year, so two people per boat. 36 oh, wow. out there on the water, and of yes, course sir. the unique thing that we've talked about before is it is a strictly uh, a women's tournament. That is correct. That is correct. Two women per boat, and uh, you have to operate the boats and catch the fish and everything all at once. So how did everything go this year, Judy? Everything went well. Um, I've got the contest results here for you. So um, I'll go ahead and give that for you. Okay. And uh, largest walleye. Uh, first place went to Tammy Jerry and Jill Strott. 
second place are Wisconsin gals. They drive all the way over from Rice Lake, Wisconsin. Their names are Judy Hunt and Lynn Steinmetz. Um, largest stringer of walleye went uh, first place was Shelly and Jennifer Holland. Second place was Chandra Gebhardt and Renee Bettenberg. Okay. And um, largest perch category, uh, we only played first place of, um, on the perch category. Amy Carrington and Chandra Risberg uh, got first place. Okay. Largest northern first place team was Kathy Davies and Levon Nikolai. And uh, second place went to Tina Fadley and Ellen Peterson. All right. And, okay, then we have another category, largest stringer of Northern. First place went to Laura Stark and uh, Shane Cleveland. And second place winners were yours truly, truly Judy Hart and uh, Renee Newstrom. Okay. And uh, those were all the winners. All right. Well, uh, were, were, they, uh, were there a lot of bites out there? Uh, actually, it was pretty slow, Kev. Um, uh, we did get a permit this year also to go into Cutfoot Sioux, which I was very glad of just because of the windy conditions. Some of the gals could uh, seek a little refuge in there. Um, there there weren't a lot of fish caught, though. Um, I, I think although I think there were only two boats that didn't bring any fish in. So, I mean, all in all, with the conditions and stuff, I think everybody did pretty good. How many of the competitors would you say are fishing savvy, and how many of them are inexperienced doing it on a lark? Um, actually, I would think for the most part, I would probably 85 90% of the girls have a good idea of what to do out there on the water. And then we do have some novice, novices, you know, that just, yeah, go out there, you know, just to have a good time and sure. stuff. But, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, it, you know, they're, they're pretty, pretty savvy when it comes to fishing. Okay. Um, any thoughts uh, from you on uh, what you want to see in the future? Or? Well, actually there was a little talk amongst the girls, uh, afterwards about maybe having an ice fishing contest oh. so um that's something we might uh might play around with and uh, see if we can get one organized for this winter all right sounds good and for those who aren't familiar with women on winnie how many years you've been doing that tournament now um this is the 20th year wow this, this would have been the 20th year so and uh everybody said they're coming back for next year's tournament so there's probably going to be a 21st one all right, and uh, if people want to get involved with the organization, how do they do that? Um, they can go to womenonwinnie.com, or we also have a Women on Winnie Facebook page, or they can always give me a call, Judy Hart, at 218-244-4130. All right, Judy Hart with the details on the Women on Winnie tournament, which happened this past Sunday. Judy, thanks for your time today. We appreciate it. Hey, Kev, thank you for following up on this. And if, you know, I have any news about ice fishing or anything like that, I will look you up, okay? Please do. Up next, another tough question for the aquatic biologist, Dr. Andrew Hayes from Bemidji State, joins us. Someday, I won't go fishing. Of course, I'll be dead. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country.
Time to ask the aquatic biologist once again, Dr. Andrew Haves from Bemidji State University. We, boy, we've got all kinds of uh, political footballs thrown his way this, uh, this year. Uh, another one, and uh, just read a, an article about it, uh, big controversy in the, I believe it's the Fergus Falls area, about introducing muskies in new waters. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's an interesting question. Muskie... If you think about Lake Bemidji, I think there's four to 600 muskie in Lake Bemidji, right? And they are a top predator, but they're just, they typically are not as in high density as a northern pike, for example. So if you think about how many perch or suckers or cisco that the muskie are eating in Lake Bemidji, it's probably in, you know, orders of magnitude less than the northern pike population. So that's one interesting thing to think about is just that it's a numbers game there and in terms of how much total energy is needed to sustain a musky population in comparison to the northern pike population in my mind it's a different ball game right? mm-hmm. so effectively managing the northern pike population might do more for the other fisheries than the musky okay at all it's just kind of my gut feeling on the things there however right there's always the however um Musky diets are extremely difficult to obtain. If you think about that musky that is out in the open water roving around and eating cisco, right? Mm-hmm. How do we sample those and then get the stomach contents out of them without having to to kill them or harvest them? So there aren't really there's one one really good study that I found on musky diets that was done in Wisconsin lakes. But right in the paper it says, well, this is all shallow water habitats that we sampled, the 1,100 fish that they sampled. Right? Okay. They didn't get any open water, deep water fish, and those are eating ciscos and possibly walleye, right? We don't know. So there's an unknown aspect here as well. So I kind of put a caveat on my right. recommendation. But at the same time, I mean, if you look at historical musky waters like Bemidji, um, which actually was introdu- muskies introduced in 1980, Cass Lake, which I think it's natural, Leech Lake, which is natural, um, Big Wolf. I mean, you, you just go down the list. Those are also great walleye fisheries. It's not like the walleyes are disappearing right. because muskies are in there. Right, and those list- lakes you listed to, uh, they're all large. Right? Yeah. So large waters that have cisco are good musky waters typically, so – in certain situations, if we find the lake that is like that, I think there – and the stakeholders in the area, you know, the vast majority of the stakeholders want them in there. Uh, it's an option for sure that it, I wouldn't buck too much at. So. But, you know, I mean the, the, the theory that buskies are going to eat all the walleyes, that just <laughs> doesn't hold water. The, in that study that I talked about in Wisconsin, the dominant prey sources were perch and white sucker. And it's interesting. I know that if you can limit white sucker numbers, that also in, improves perch populations. So they, or there's been studies that have shown that. So they can, might even be offsetting the effect on perch by the consumption of the sucker. Okay. So, it, but those are the two. I mean, by far the dominant sources. There was walleye in the diets, right? Yeah. But there's a huge percentage of the walleye that die of natural mortality as it is, and that's not to suggest that any of those walleye that the muskie consumed would have ended up in the creel anyways. So, I've heard one 
story in my life, and I don't even know if it was ever proven, that a muskie has bit a person swimming in a lake. And yet that one is always used as as fodder for the anti-muskie forces. Muskies don't normally go after humans. Well, if you try to get him to bite you, maybe. No, <laughs> well, yeah, just kidding. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can throw a little Was the person fishing for him? <laughs> I think every muskie fisherman's been bitten by a muskie, right? Well, <laughs> so yes. When yes. they're in the boat, angry, uh, you're probably more likely to be struck by lightning. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, but I, I know those stories I can remember when I was a kid. One of my first experiences with the large fish was my mom and my sister were sitting on a one of those floating rafts, and a huge muskie swam by, right? And they saw that, and they were just terrified to come back to shore. They thought it was going to bite them. And I was, even when I was that age, I was laughing at them. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we don't have to worry about the theme from Jaws when we're swimming in Lake Bemidji. Uh, no, I, I'm not. That is. That thought doesn't even cross my mind when I'm swimming in Lake Bemidji that a muskie is going to come and bite me, even though it's one of the best muskie fisheries around. So, um, yeah, I guess it's it, you know, um, like so many things we've talked about over the years, you really have to understand the fishery, you have to understand um, the effects it could have. But the the historical precedent is big waters are very good homes for both muskies, walleyes, northerns, perch, any number of things, and doesn't seem to have a negative impact on those numbers. I mean, not that I'm aware of, right? I mean, and, and not to the point where I think it would offset the, you know, the economic gains of the in, the new fishery. Yeah. Uh, but again, you got to really look at the system and make sure the prey base is there, make sure the water structure is right, uh, that the water temperatures are correct. If there's perch, if there's suckers, if there's cisco, that will buffer effects on walleye, in my opinion. So I think one of the – I would be more concerned actually about the impact on the perch population and that cascading up through the walleye than the consumption on the walleye just because the, the perch is a much higher percentage of their diet on average from the studies I've read. Another loaded question, yeah, another controversial topic. Uh, Dr. Andrew Haves from Bungie State University joining us. Thanks, Andy, for your time today. Thank you. Fish If you are leading change, building a team, or implementing new procedures, Gonzaga University's online Master's in Organizational Leadership gives you the tools for success. With concentrations in change, global, and servant leadership, you'll get the most relevant training and education to help you tackle any challenge. Visit gonzaga.edu leader and find out how Gonzaga's organizational leadership degree can affect positive change in your life and career. That's gonzaga.edu leader. 